welcome to another non-sequential episode of Throwdown Thursday. My name is Patsy the Angry Nerd. I am one of your several hosts. Uh, this is episode 63, and uh, I am joined by uh, the Ironborn Lady of Comic-Cons, the Warden of Geekdom, the uh, shortest member of our triumvirate. Fuck you. She is uh, sassy. And uh, we wouldn't want it any other way. Agent Nicole. Yay! Uh, I am joined also by the uh, mistress of Merlot, the sultan of, I don't know, sultaness? I don't know if that's even a thing, of uh, Sweet Reds, the, I don't know, I don't have any more nicknames, the Real Housewives, Housewife, (laughs) Jesus, you're the one who's been drinking the wine, the Real Housewife of... Uh, Transylvania, the Cersei Lannister of Cabernet, Ashes von Nightmare. I was born this way. That's true, you were. And we are, of course, also joined by the producer extraordinaire, the captain of this crazy train boat. Yeah, boat trains don't have captains. You are just butchering everything. I should have written this down. I didn't write anything down. God damn it, Patsy. I know, I know. Uh, Johnny Wolfenstein. Did we go in the future? Is this episode uh, 492? Yes, this is somewhere in there. Okay, good. Just checking. Just yeah. want to make sure I got it right. And uh, we have a couple of special guests today. Uh, one of our guests, Annie Wilkes, is her greatest fan. Is her number one fan. And he can see John Cena. Ladies and gentlemen, the podcasting power couple of Stephanie Wiley and El Goro. Hey, how's it going? I like that one of us has a name. (laughs) (laughs) Like, one of us has an actual name. I have not earned my name yet. What's your name, Stephanie? I know. (laughs) Yeah, what are you talking about? Everybody knows El Goro. There's a song about that. I got a name. There you go. Channeling your inner Jim Croce. Look what you started. All right. Oh, Lord. Oh, boy. It could always be worse. I could be, I could be singing. Oh, God. Don't even don't. think about it. You get to. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> See? That's what I say. <laughs> okay, Stuart. I know. I kind of want to hear you sing some Lady Gaga. No. Oh, no. no. Don't, don't ruin it Stop. for me. Stop. I'm so on cloud 9000. Don't ruin it for me. <laughs> yeah, that was only a few days ago. He starts like, saying I'm walking out. Oh, don't tempt me with a with a with a good time. I no. feel bad for Ashes. If, if she goes, I go. Uh, <laughs> well, you're not physically here. It's easier for me to hang up. <laughs> That's true. I don't that, even have to get up. I don't have to put on pants. Just click. I'm leaving. I'm putting the bunnies on. I will Here say you though, guys, I'm going home. <laughs> what was to say? I will say though, at the show, uh, we did sing the Cartman version of Poker Face. That's true. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> because why else? What else would you sing? Like, I am you right. have to do that. <laughs> I was kind of surprised she didn't do it. Well, I mean, she, I, I'm, I'm sure awesome. she sings the correct words to her song oh, just for a reason. It's her song. Well, you know, like people go to sing hers, see her sing her songs. That's true. So, you know, not not to sing about whales. That's true. She doesn't give a crap about whales, so go and hug a tree. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, we are uh, today. We are we are joined by uh, Stephanie and Goro because. 
we're going to be discussing some of the characters. You just dropped your title. You dropped you from Elgore to just Goro. Wow. I know. Demoted. Listen, I'm I'm trying to save time here. I'm just going to be Gub by the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> So good. What do you got? <laughs> Fading away here, man. Oh Jesus! Patsy's a shit show. As uh, usual. That, oh yeah, that, that'll be our title. Uh, so we're going to be discussing uh, the balloons might float, but Patsy is sinking like a stone. Oh, I am. <laughs> this is uh, this is not going well. This is still be- a better than average show for us. <laughs> so we are actually going to be talking about uh, the characters from an upcoming Stephen King adaptation. And uh, <laughs> we're also going to be discussing how they've been portrayed already, both in the book and the uh, 1990 TV movie. So we're going to kind of like compare and contrast, do a little bit of that. And of course, I'm talking about It. Wait a minute, we're not talking about seminal 90s punk band Pennywise? Shit, I did all my bad research. Well, I mean, we can. I mean, I'm we not going to stop you. They're a good band. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely not going to stop you from doing so. Bad um, bad research, bad romance. This is true. See, it all comes together. It does. It does. Cause a wheel. Um, but before we get into that, um, you know, as, as uh, folks who are familiar with the story know... That Pennywise is the name of the shape-shifting clown, uh, the the titular it in the uh, novel. Uh, if you don't know what this uh, creature does, is it takes the form of the thing you fear most. Think of it uh, for our, our younger our younger uh, listeners out there. Uh, think of it as a boggart from Harry Potter. Only this one cannot be uh, uh, defeated by a simple wave of a wand. It takes Spoiler alert, energy. I don't know what that means. That's okay. Some, some people do. Neither do I. It's See, Agent Nicole knows. It's significantly more difficult than that. So what we'd like to do, we'd like to start off, and uh, Stephanie, I think we'll start with you. Oh, God. Um, if you were to encounter it, <coughs> what form would it take? Um, I Well... That's a good question. Um, cellulite. <laughs> um, I'm terrified of spiders, and I think everyone knows that. Um, poor Ian had to watch arachnophobia with me. And <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, Mid- midway through the I've... movie, she was just yelling out, no, no. Like, and I had, to, I had to point out that she was the one who put on the movie. Uh, I, I, the things I do to myself. Right. Um, yeah, I'm terrified of spiders. I think everyone knows that. Like anything else on the planet, I don't mind bugs. I don't mind snakes. I don't mind right rats, mice, whatever. Those are all fine. Um, spiders, though, for fuck's sake, why? I'm, I'm I'm there with you. The spiders are not. I don't like the way they move. I don't like the way they look. Like <laughs> there's nothing good about a spider. I don't like anything about them. Like there's, my mom used to say something like, "Oh, there's no good, there's no such thing as a good spider unless it's a dead spider." And I was like, "Woman, I don't know about even then." <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, spiders are terrible, uh, and I hate them. And that's that's perfectly rational and perfectly reasonable. And I would agree. I would hate to see a giant spider. Like, I, it's, 
it's not my number one fear, but it's definitely not something that I would like to see. Uh, so, guh, um, I'm... <laughs> see, there it is. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I, I can't do that. You're a, you're a very classy gentleman. Uh, El Goro. <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> now he's been promoted again to your, El. Uh, what would it be for you? And I, I think this is a very interesting question because we've talked about different things that you are and are not afraid of before. Yeah, and it would be it would be in, it would be difficult to kind of peg it down because there are certainly things that unsettle me. You know, I have minor cholerophobia, so it's, that's a discomfort around clowns. Uh, Pedophobia, which is a discomfort around dolls. But it, if there were to be something that would to get to the heart of me, to absolutely terrify me. I think the only thing that would really qualify for that is if it took the manifestation of the people that I love and projected them in elements of great distress or in pain. And if it were able to transform its visage to make it seem like I was the one inflicting upon them, that is my greatest fear, the fact that I may hurt the people I love. Very well said. Uh and that actually, you know, going back to the uh, the Harry Potter thing, that's uh, something that we see uh, projected to Molly Weasley. No, oh, right, well, I did not know that. What was it? Yes, that's correct. Sorry. She, uh, the Boggart, you know, that I compared it to, uh, kept transforming into uh, dead her her dead children. Yeah. Well, her children weren't dead, but that's her greatest fear. So that's definitely something that uh, I think a lot of us can relate to. Agent Nicole. Um, well, I'm not a fan of closed indoor spaces, so like claustrophobia would be one. But or not being able to breathe is a really huge fear of mine. But if I had to pick one, rodents, rats, and mice, I can't. I can't deal with it. A couple months ago, we had a mouse in the house, and I fucking didn't go in the house for an hour and a half because there was a mouse in the house, and I. I couldn't deal with it, so. I recall that. Just we call offered, me. We, we offered to rent you our cats. <laughs> I was I was so upset. My dad didn't even want to tell me that there was a mouse in the house. And then it, what was worse was it was living in the bathroom for a little bit. And I was like, fuck. That means I got to go pee outside. I was going to say, Nicole pooped outside for two weeks. <laughs> not. But on the plus side, her garden looks amazing. <laughs> no, I just, just, it just, I don't like the feeling that they're around and they're small and they can get into things like how do you feel about hamsters hamsters are fine i don't mind hamsters i don't mind guinea pigs um squirrels squirrels are fine i just something like i i don't it's just it, well like what about a dwarf hamster they're they're not bad i my friend i'm trying to test the line here (laughs) no um my friend had a uh, because they're kind of mousy they but they're cute i they're fine like but the mouse that we had at our house was really mm, i think it was more of a rat but my dad's like so then like what about a field mouse like that's a fat one i think that's the one that was in our house no nope Nope. No, no, field mouse is cute. It's like fat I don't mouse. care. It's like I don't care. Gus, that Gus. was in our house, and I was not Gus, happy Gus. about it. <laughs> I was not happy about that. No. People of a certain age know what I, what I mean when I say it's Gus Gus. I know. <laughs> cause I, yeah, because I did do a Photoshop of Patsy as Gus Gus. Yes, she did. She did. <laughs> it was I, so good. I need to post Cause, that. Because Patsy's a motherfucking mouse. That's true. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm terrified of Patsy. What you and me both. <laughs> what, about, what about a capybara? Is it just small rodents or like what about a capybara? You already clarified the guinea pigs are fine. 
Yeah, guinea pigs are fine. It's just and like no one's afraid of a capybara. Correct. Fair enough. Like no one. Yeah. So that's my fear. Okay. So if any of you motherfuckers try to bring mouses or mouses. rats around me, I will fucking lose my. I'm shit. gonna put so we many. Should, we should, we should bring a rat around you, if only because they are the most lovable rodents you could I've, possibly I've have. I heard. I just strongly disagree. Really. I'm, I will probably, I like, if like you bring a rat answers. near me, I will huh? cry. I will Aww. literally cry. <laughs> I don't I'm going to fill your desk with catnip mice. I, wait, wait. So last year, was last year your first year at Rock and Shock? Yes, it was. Oh, okay. Why? Um, I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's usually a guy that, at Rock and Shock that comes with, like, basically, like, a mini petting zoo, but it's like full of snakes and alligators. The one and that was shit. right across from Trick or Treat Radio's. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that he, was. He, I didn't go he, near it, but I saw he it. He also usually brings like rats, tarantulas, and then like one year he brought bunnies. Oh. <laughs> okay. And so, like, I of course like stroll over, like, oh, hello. Means that at some time in Rock and Shock, we just need to roll in with a goat. I mean, we could put that at the Trick or Treat Radio booth, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm just speaking. For I'm sure MZ would take care of it. There you go. He'd fight it for food. <laughs> <laughs> the goats are the only thing with a worse diet than Dynamo. We just take a picture of both of them, put I, separated at birth. I actually Aww. think MZ has surpassed him in in, in horrible diets. <laughs> That's fair. He does eat bradishes every day. Yeah, pretty much. What's that? It's a little uh, Horrib- horrible, horrible, like little hot dog stand that sells things filled with grease. So they Ew. taste amazing, but like no, it doesn't. <laughs> see, we've we've lived in Grafton for like five years at this point, almost six, and mm-hmm. we've gone there like three times, and it we literally pass it twice a day, going to and from work, and we've been there like three times. Like, do you go there when you need to lose a few pounds? Uh, that's usually <laughs> like a Taco Bell trip. <laughs> but uh, well, the I, thing is, you gain ten pounds and then lose five on the other end. <laughs> Yeah. So it's actually a net, a net loss. And the remaining five are just shame. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Ashes, what? Uh, I think we all know the answer to this, but what would it be for you? It wouldn't be it. It would be E.T. <laughs> You sure it wouldn't be an empty wine bottle? Well, no, but see, here's what was saying. <laughs> funny, you are not the first person to say that. You're like the fourth person tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I think for me, like, E.T. is my it. Like, E.T. kind of encompasses, it's kind of like my my symbol for all of my fears, you know? So, <laughs> so losing loved ones and running out of wine and having to deal with Patsy and... Getting um, to deal with Patsy. You know? spiders and all of these other like you know uh the fear of not living a life full you know and and dying before my time and all of that i think like all of those fears are encompassed in this one little fucking alien that i just want to beat to death like because it just scares the shit out of me and 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 seriously like people think it's funny et scares the 
fuck out of me. So you may think it's funny when you tag me in pictures on Facebook, like, oh, oh, oh I'm going to tag Ashes in a picture of E.T. So when she sees this, like, she's going to open up and see a picture of E.T. She's going to be so bad. Huh? No, motherfucker. I don't sleep at night. Remember, Slagoth, you're going to you. be seeing her at Rock and Shock. Yeah, you have to deal with all of this, motherfucker. So come at me, bro. Um, E.T. Just remember, and- Ashes. Ashes, just remember. Yes. I'll be right here. I am not afraid of you. I am not. I will come at you. I will find where you live. Well, it's actually, the I got the address. Yeah, I mean, you want it? I, I can send it to you, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's just funny because I can't even think of that final scene from E.T. without, you know, getting choked up. That part made me cry so much as a kid. And I'm there with you. So today. I'm there with you. I. It's one of my favorite movies. Yep, nope, not allowed in our house. It's one of my favorite movies <laughs> nope, of all nope. time. Well, if it, if it. it makes you feel any better, like, I think Dumbo is incredibly traumatic. <gasps> yes. Oh, my God, the pink elephant scene? Holy oh, shit. I, was, I remember being a little kid, and I was just, like, in tears, sobbing, because I was so overwhelmed and not understanding, and I couldn't, like, none of it made sense to me. Why would they do this? Why is this happening? What is going on? Why, why, why? And I was just, like, overwhelmed and, like, sobbing and then rage sobbing <laughs> like Dumbo is awful fuck a Dumbo <laughs> I feel you I feel that that is my ET yes I feel you I feel you like on that. that's gonna be like my new motto fuck a Dumbo <laughs> fuck a Dumbo Wolfie, like the worst Wolfie uh, yeah. what, what would it be for you what would it be uh, I haven't thought about this so I don't know um <laughs> I guess something, uh, and I know that it's a manifest- manifestation of your fear. I don't. Not much scares me. I don't like. I haven't seen a movie that has scared me, uh, at least in, in the last like twenty years. So I guess my biggest fear right now would be anything happening to my dog. Aww. So, I guess. Legit. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I guess that. I, I don't know how that could manifest in in a, you know in a person. I guess in a vision or something. But yeah, that would be it. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely uh, a more relatable thing than a uh, you know brown mind controlling goblin made of scrotal meat. Well, shut up! <laughs> shut up! Uh, he doesn't what, control we, minds. We, he just empathically links with small children, <laughs> and a, we can't also control what what we're afraid of. No, that's true. Exactly, that's true. I mean, mine is actually uh, similar. To ashes, where is it me? No, am I your it? No, (laughs) Uh, like there's like a list of things that I'm afraid of, and like you're at the bottom, like (laughs) just behind like fluffy kittens. Yeah, you're at the bottom of the list of things that I'm afraid of. Yeah, you say that now. You talk a big talk. I talk that talk when we're off air too. Uh huh. Uh Uh, No, for me, it would be. I I know where you live. Yeah, my house. (laughs) My house. For me, it would be uh, gray aliens. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know why they terrify me the way they do. All I know is that when I was about seven years old, we were uh, in the in the living room. It was me, my dad, and my younger brother. He was about five. Uh, my younger brother, not my dad. And we were watching a documentary <laughs> <laughs> called uh, UFOs Are Real. Oh, and, yeah, I remember that one. And there's a scene when a gray alien jumps out onto the screen like they just put the picture up and I have never been filled with terror about anything as I was at that moment and I have been in the middle of a train track 
like a, a bridge when a train was coming, like bearing down on me, like, you know, uh, stand by me type style. And I seriously considered leaping off the bridge into the river 20 feet below. That's, you know, the situation I was in. But this scared me more than that. Like, I crawled out of the room on my hands and knees because I could not physically stand. And I was shaking. Like, it was worse than any, any fear I've ever had in my life. I don't know why. But that terrified me more than anything. And, like, I can watch, you know, all these, you know, ancient aliens and, like, all these different conspiracy shows. And I can see them now. And, like, but if I were to, in real life, see a gray alien standing in front of me, that would be the, uh, the, the moment where I would need new pants. You don't want to well, go home? Yeah. Back to the motherland? <laughs> They're coming to get you, Patsy. <laughs> so, basically, you're not qualified for Star Trek. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> or the X-Files. Did they have many gray aliens on Star Trek? They totally could. It really doesn't matter. It just means you're clearly not qualified. Like, what happens if you're on a ship and you're at the home and then there's a gray alien on screen and you fuck everything up? Well, Which is not unusual for you, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Listen, I wouldn't, be in the, I wouldn't be in a position of command anyway. I'd be probably down in the bowels of the ship. I said you'd be at the helm, loser, not in command. No, I would be down in the bowels of the ship. You're Making... Fucking red-shirted ensign. <laughs> Mopping up the hollow deck after Riker gets done in it. Ooh, that's a <laughs> <Barkley>. full-time job. <laughs> Barkley. Or Barkley, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a full-time job. <laughs> Nicole knows. Yep. I am the goddess of the mind. Should I write? No, it's not. It really isn't. <laughs> All right, well. But the grunts actually make sense because if you look at them, I mean, they're a subversion of human attributes, which people find frightening. It's why clowns tend to freak people out. And when we look at the stories that get associated with that boom of alien encounters, it seems to have uh, tapered off a little bit with ubiquity of cell phone cameras these days. You can't quite get away with, oh, I saw a flying saucer. Why didn't you film it? But you compare that to old myths of, you know, fairies and goblins and well, even ghosts. Well, obviously, because technology does not work when confronted with alien technology is far superior and it, like, wipes your shit out. Duh. saying there seems to be a whole hell of a lot of less people la, claiming la, la, la. these days. Mm-hmm. But ghosts are back in vogue. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think, I think with that, we are going to... Uh, wrap up this first segment we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we are going to uh chat about pennywise and the losers club trick-or-treat radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture navigated by the deadites we are the world's greatest electroshock band we destroy monsters we drink booze and we win championship belts if you're not listening to trick-or-treat radio here's a taste of what you've been missing there's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and trick-or-treat radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you ah. shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely 
actually buying her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey short. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The okay. box, right? The box and the monkey. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and TrickOrTreatRadio.com. Arrivederci, douchebags. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. Hello. This is the Sasquatch, a.k.a. Bigfoot, but you can just call me Frank. And when I'm not stomping around the woods throwing rocks at hunters, I like to listen to the Paranormal Punchers podcast. That's right, Paranormal Punchers. They talk about all things paranormal, and they're hilarious. Go find them on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and ParanormalPunchers.com. And we're back, and uh, I hope you didn't didn't miss us too too much. But uh, we are still here. Uh, I can I can account for the three in the room. Uh, Stephanie Elgoro, you guys are still here. Yo. Yes. Awesome. Right awesome. now. Yeah. See, now you owe me a coke, Nicole. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be talking about the uh, the different characters from the uh, the Losers Club, which is the uh, affectionate name given to the group of uh, our, our main main protagonists in the It novel and uh, subsequent films. And uh, we're also going to be talking a little bit about uh, Pennywise because, I mean, he is the, the, main, the main character, the driving force that sets the entire story into motion. So, you know, Stephanie, you and I had a, a little bit of a conversation off-air regarding this, and uh, we talked about how we felt about the book compared to the uh, the ABC, I believe it was ABC, uh, made-for-TV movie. And uh, some of the choices that they made for the characters. Uh, would you like to tell the folks what you thought of uh, uh, the Ben Hanscom casting? <laughs> Why is it always, like, everyone always wants you to go in on, like, the, the thing I'm frustrated with. Um... <laughs> Well, I mean, is that a good place to even start this discussion, though? Well, I mean, I, I figure we can bounce back and forth and get some, you know, we can start off with, with Ben, uh, oh, ben. And then we can okay. move on. Okay. Um, wait, wait, wait. Show of hands, and you're going to have to give me eyes, actually, since I can't see you guys. Has everyone read the book? Yes. Yes. So, no. Working on it. How working on it? I'm about a quarter of the way through it, so I'm not super far, but uh, it, it's this is long book. I was going to say, that's still <laughs> it's like actually finishing. Book. I was going to say, it's like actually still having finished another book. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, like, how many books in one? Um, okay. So, if you read the book, and it's important, the struggle, and here's the thing I talked to Patrick about yesterday when I was kind of live texting my viewing um 
the thing about the book is that there's a lot to it and it gets really deep into all of the characters and everything that goes on because it's Stephen King and even for Stephen King it's quite a tome and then the miniseries while long is a miniseries and it's just not long enough to cover the material so I can respect that and I can respect that they obviously need to make different changes and it's just it's gonna happen everything is adapted and unless it's Firestarter I don't really think that there's anything that's particular there's completely on the nose as far as, as far as adaptations go. Um, but if you read the book, little Ben Hanscom is um, adorable and the best. He is a little roly-poly kid who just gets bullied and beaten up for being fat. Um, but he's an all-around adorable child who everyone should love. He's kind of like Piggy from Lord of the Flies. He's so fucked. Um, and then... As he grows up, uh, if you read the book, and this comes out pretty early, so I'm not really spoiling a whole lot. Um, ben, when he grows up, is the kind of guy who grew up as a fat kid, but who grew into being a very attractive man. He uh, starts running uh, to show up a track coach. He start he realizes that his mom like starts flipping out when he starts trying to not eat as much, but then because to her it's a sign of love to feed him. Um, but then he realizes that if she, he can eat as much rabbit food as he wants, as he puts it, you know, and she could just feed him like huge salads, it still counts to her because he's still eating a lot. So it doesn't matter what it is as long as he's eating a lot of it. So he goes through growth spurts. He kind of does this thing where he does track and he starts eating healthy and he grows into a man who is described as being really attractive, but the kind of person who doesn't know how attractive they are due to deep rooted childhood insecurities. Uh, I always kind of pictured him as basically like a Nathan Fillion kind of character. Now, if you think about Nathan Fillion and you think about John Ritter, you might see where I'm displeased. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you can see where they like maybe fell off the off the pa- off the path for me. Um, and John Ritter, to be really really clear and upfront, is a wonderful was a wonderful actor. Um, I love his work. I think he's a great. I think he was really fantastic. But he was completely miscast and completely off the mark for what they did with Ben in the film. And what they did with Ben in the miniseries was completely off the mark as well. Um, When you first meet Ben in the show, in the movie, he's, like, drunk. And he's, like, with some girl and he drops an award. And he's just an asshole. He's very arrogant. When you meet Ben in the book as an adult, that's completely the opposite of who Ben is. Ben couldn't possibly care less about awards. He's not seeing anyone. He's like a low key kind of like cowboy kind of dude um, who's got that swag and like girls are into him, but he's just completely oblivious because he's always little fat Ben Hanscom in his brain. Yeah, and he's he's a creature of habit. He shows up at the same bar, even though it's hundreds of miles from where he might be. He's there every Friday night. And he's just low-key and down-home. And so, um, yeah. he So casting John Ritter, A, was really, really far off the, off the reservation for me. And then having been portrayed the way that he was, especially towards the beginning of the, of the miniseries, was really off-putting and disconcerting. Because basically, Ben Hanscom, when he grows up, is the kind of boy that every girl dreams of. That's fair. Like he's 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 a dreamboat, and John Ritter is not. 
<laughs> was not, and neither was the way he was presented in the miniseries. Well, that's it's really funny that you say that because <laughs> Nicole and I were just having that conversation earlier today. Yeah, um, you know, uh, Patsy and I watched uh, the miniseries over the the weekend uh, just to kind of refresh our memories. Mm-hmm. And Agent Nicole was saying how she was going to um, just kind of watch little blurbs of it, you know, uh, to refresh her own memory as well. Mm-hmm. And we got to talking about the casting and how like the characters just kind of seem. Off, yeah, um, and and you know Nicole mentioned John Ritter, yeah. how he's such a wonderful actor, and it's just this role is it's, just it just something was off, like it just yeah. doesn't feel right. And I and think for because the more that I looked into the Losers Club and the characters, and for me, I would definitely relate to Ben the most because I went through childhood being picked on for being heavy, and it's um, it hits home. So when I was because when I watched it, I was in college. My friends and I decided to do like a horror kind of finanza, watching all the movies. And I love John Ritter. I absolutely love and adore him. But like, like Ash is what you said is like, I really didn't like it's, it was like, you don't see John Ritter in a lot of serious roles. And for him to be in this was just so out out of his norm like yeah he's done a lot of comedy and i'm sure he could be really good as a serious actor but like this was not the right role for him and it was just really disheartening because i really do love john ritter so yeah it's it's deeply disconcerting for me just i mean i've read the book Mm -hmm. um probably seven times which is probably more than any other book that I've ever read. And it's one that I consistently come back to for a ton of reasons. And Ben is just all wrong in the miniseries, like just all wrong, unfortunately. I think had he been a little bit older, a perfect casting would have been uh, Jerry O'Connell. Because you see how he was in Stand By Me, and then you age him up to see what uh, what he turned into. Like he was Ben Hanscom. And I think he's got that that look to him, you know. Uh, he he's a very similar uh, build and facial structure to Nathan Fillion, uh, but he was. If you say so, he was sixteen when that came out, so he was too old to be young Ben and too young to be old Ben. Yeah, my hormones say they don't have a similar facial structure, but thanks for playing. Well, that's, that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> you know. I agree with you, Stephanie. No, obviously Nathan Fillion is a much more attractive man. Oh, I love Nathan Fillion. Like, that's, that's obvious, but, you know... Except I when know. I think of Jerry O'Connor, especially seeing him as a kid and seeing him as an adult, he seems to have gone the direction of the miniseries Ben, where here was this fat kid who became thin, and now he's going to enjoy that. Whereas the novel Ben never really became confident enough in his new body and his new place in life in order to take advantage of that. I don't think he ever thought about it, though. Like, it's not a lack of confidence because I think Ben has always been very... And that's something that they discuss in the book and in the miniseries, is each of the characters is fully confident in who they are and, like, what they can and can't do. Like, Ben, right away, like, is very confident in his own abilities. I think it's more for him that he just never thought about himself in such a fashion, and that's mm-hmm. incredibly relatable. Um, like, Nicole, I wasn't chubby, but I was definitely picked on for my appearance as a little kid. And so, I mean, and for a long time. So I don't take compliments very well at all, no matter who gives them and how, yeah. how, how much they're given in earnest. I just don't take it very well, and it kind of is off-putting to me. Um, so I, I think it's not about him not having confidence in himself. 
or not having an understanding of his ability to take advantage of what he now has more so that I think he just never thought about himself in that way. He was always kind of down a different path. And one of the things that they, unfortunately for everyone's sake, um, kind of meld from the book. And I think there's a sense of it overall and overarchingly, which is a little creepy, but what can you do? Um, is the sense and the conclusion, you know, that Ben does eventually finally, thank Christ, wind up with Bev. Mm-hmm. And I think for Ben, it's always been Bev and it will always be Bev no matter what. Mm-hmm. Well, it, yes. it's, you know, touching on what you say, like how, uh, you know, Ben doesn't see himself the way there's even that, that, uh, that passage in the book where you know the drunk woman at the bar no uh young ben like if you had gone up to him and asked him if he was lonely like he mm-hmm. wouldn't quite understand what you meant be- you know the same way yes. a blind mm-hmm. blind person who's blind from birth has no other perspective you know exactly. which, which really like kind of endears you to this character it's like wow he doesn't know what loneliness is because he doesn't know what it's like to have friends so he doesn't have that 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 uh, that life experience, so he doesn't understand what he's missing. But you're right; he's so confident, you know. And we see that in the the dam building scene. He's like, "Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's good. I don't know how it works, but this is exactly what you need to do." And and that's both in the book, and it's well done in the book and in the um, the miniseries as well. Like he just he just goes into the barrens. He's like, "Oh." Here, <laughs> yeah. Like, well, you I guys are building this. a dam. This is how you do it. How do you know? Yeah, work? like. Zero do. questioning, zero thought, like, and not in a bad way, and not in an arrogant way, just like a very self-assured, like, oh, okay, hold on, like, we can fix this. Exactly. Uh, yep. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to add about Ben Elgoro? Well, I just think it, the arc that we see of him in the novel, and to a certain extent, it's present within the miniseries as well, albeit v- transformed and dramatically simplified, is one that becomes a reoccurring theme with so many of the characters. I mean, if we were to drill down the big uh, capital letter themes of it, one of the major ones is about the idea of confronting and moving past one's childhood, whether it be suppressing it, like Derry seems so likely to do, or just being able to kind of integrated into yourself. One of the subplots that got dropped from the miniseries was the relationship between Bill and Bev. The fact that they had this childhood crush that uh, manifests in a full-on them having sex as an adult. Yet, that act was a way of sort of putting that their relationship behind them and then moving forward as adults. As we mentioned, she ends up with Ben at the end. And so much of the novel is about that sort of growing up, that coming of age, which in a way feels delayed for so many of these characters because they truly do not aren't able to quote unquote grow up until they're what they're in their thirties or forties when this when the novel takes place. Yeah, it's uh, early, late thirties, early forties because they're like twelve, and then it's been like twenty six, twenty seven years. So yeah, yeah. And in such, you know, it becomes that figure, that thing that ties them back to their past, that they thought they conquered as children, but it was only through adult eyes that they can truly confront it and truly defeat it. Exactly. How about, uh, Nicole Ashes, you guys have anything to add to that? Just going back to the uh, character of Ben, I'm, I'm hoping that that's something, like the, the plot holes and... Um, and whatnot in in the miniseries. I'm hoping that's something that they rectify in the new film. 
I'm hoping that they paid more attention to to his character and stay a little more uh, truer to the book, or at least what I know of his character so far based on the book. Well, we'll see. But I mean, this this first film, and I'm not sure if everyone knows this, but it's going to be two films. Yes. And so this first film is them as children. And then the second film, if it makes money, so go fucking see this movie, because I swear to fucking God, if I don't get a second movie, I'm going to lose my shit, <laughs> will be the adult version. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. Like, I think this one, uh, we're not going to see much of the adult version. We're going to see no. the what was it? The summer of '57. Yeah. Well, the summer of '87. I think they're making it in this one or '89. Oh. They moved the timeline up, which makes a hell of a lot of sense. If only just it prevents them from having to do two period movies, and the target audience that is seeing this movie, they can remember what it was like basically to be a child child during this period as people who were reading it just like stephen king would have remembered growing up in the 50s right right it wouldn't be relatable to a lot of kids if it, it to, especially to a lot of people in general like even to our generation it's not relatable if it's really set in the 50s at the beginning which is fine and that doesn't bother me in the slightest um but yeah i mean we'll see how that goes yeah. People better see this fucking movie. Uh, and I was I was having a conversation Swear with somebody. <laughs> I was having a conversation with somebody who was not a fan of the fact that they are making these films so distinct. That's because we haven't even had a casting for the Adult Losers Club. I mean, it's fair to to imagine that this film will solely be focused upon them as children, whereas the novel and uh, to the miniseries interwove the timelines all together, and. While I can appreciate what King did, and in a literary form, it works spectacularly, in a cinematic form, it really does benefit to make it a, a film of two parts. It just keeps the narrative a little bit more streamlined that, and thus able to be uh, absorbed a little bit better to the average moviegoer. Exactly. Yeah, not everybody's well, a, a fan of nonlinear storytelling. That, and I mean, he literally had 1,100 pages to work with. Yes, he did. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love about the novel. I'm still a bit of a King neophyte. I'm I'm slowly chipping away at his uh, back catalog of incredible books. But one of the things that I really appreciate, and we see it in it, we see it in Needful Things, which I read recently. We see it even going back as far as Salem's Lot. One of his true strengths as a storyteller is setting up a realistic and believable and incredibly engaging town. I mean, he was able to capture Americana like few other people can, interweaving all of those storylines that make up the tapestry of growing up in a small town in America. And I, I th truly think that is his greatest strength as a storyteller. You can put aside the scares. You can put aside so much of his fantastic imagination. His greatest uh, strength is his ability to s just effortlessly create all of these incredibly engaging characters and make you believe the world in which they live. And I think it is one of the purest manifestations of that. Absolutely. Yeah, like in you know when I first read it, as I think it was like 11 or 12, you know, I didn't quite appreciate that, but as I got older, and it's like, oh, you know, it's you know, you know, Kansas Street and Witcham Street and the shoe boat and like all these like landmarks. You know, he's like, it's almost like someone giving you directions. It's like, okay, you know, turn left here, and you'll see this. You'll see the movie theater, and if you go over here, you'll see the, you know, the the pharmacy. And it's it's really well done the way he describes everything. Like you, you feel like you're, you know, riding along with Bill on his bike. 
Well, and when you actually make your way up to Banger, like, it's alarming how well you feel like you already know the place. Um, because there's, like, the Paul Bunyan statue, there's the hmm. water tower, they're there. Yes. And it's that. a bit unnerving, like, the bird bath is there. <laughs> it's a bit unnerving, actually, to be walking around and just... Be, essentially be tracing the steps of these kids and these characters that you know that he was tracing when he was literally walking around mm-hmm. um there's so many landmarks from the book that are 100% real and 100% right there we are going to have to make a road trip it's just uh i i i think it's um people who aren't from new england say new england town names so differently than we're used to um Oh, if you spelled them right. Well, that's true, too. Because technically the way it's... If you're from Maine, you don't say Bangor. Well, that's what we say down here. If you're from Maine, you say Banger. Like, that's what they say. So shut the fuck up, Patsy. I'm just educate. Read a book, Patsy. In general. Educate yourself. Listen, do you know how many times people have come up to me and not known how to pronounce Worcester? Yeah. I'm from a state that's full of Native American words. That's fine. I'm not saying you. I'm just saying, you know. It doesn't I'm mean used... that, like, it just... I, I go, didn't say go, you were wrong. Place, I didn't go, sa- place, go places, Patrick. Meet people. I didn't say you were wrong. I just talk, said it's different people, hearing Patrick. people from uh, from other places pronounce New England town names. Like, I've never heard anyone say banger. And I've been to Maine, and I have relatives in Maine, and I've never heard I'm going to go ask my dad it's now different. when I leave here. Yeah, your yes, dad's from do. Maine. My dad's from Maine, yeah. Please do. So, I think that will. You're not from here, are you? (laughs) (laughs) I think that'll wrap up the Ben talk. So let's move on. Sometimes Uh, silent is better, Patsy. Will yes, I know it is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I'm takes one to know one. Yeah, (laughs) I better say something or I'll think I'm stupid. (laughs) So moving along alphabetically, we will now uh, let's talk about Bev. So I personally think this was one of the better casting. Um, I thought Annette O'Toole uh, did an excellent job of bringing this character to life. She was very... uh, She had the timidity when she needed it and the ferocity when it uh, it was required of her. Uh, And I think Emily Perkins did a good job as young Bev. Um, Yeah. I would have liked to... uh, I know, again, this is a made-for-TV movie, and there's a lot of subject matter, but the whole um, the fight where she finally uh, finally decides, you know, when she gets a call from Mike Hanlon, and she refuses to take uh, Tom's shit anymore, and mm-hmm. just utterly destroys him, um, leading him to, you know, chase after her, and that whole subplot with her friend, and then you know, you know, uh, it using him for its own nefarious purposes, similar to how it uses uh, Henry Bowers. I, I thought that that would have been awesome to see, but I understand that that's not something that they could have done. Um, what did uh, Elgora? We'll start with you this time. What did you think of uh, Bev's transition from the page to the screen? 
Well, I, I'm with you that I definitely enjoy Emily Perkins as uh, young Bev. I think she did a great job. For some reason, though, Annette O'Toole just didn't really engage with me all that much. I'm not exactly sure what it was. There just felt like there was something missing from the performance that separated it from the character on the page. Now, this is was a latter transformation, because my first exposure to the storyline of It was via the miniseries. But going and reading the novel and then watching it again... It's just one of those things that it, so, these characters are so richly defined in the text that it's next to impossible for them to really pop on the screen, at least when they become the adult cast. And that's the really big thing I take away from the whole miniseries is that it is very much a film of two parts in more ways than one. I think most of us would agree that the stuff with the children is more compelling than the uh, stuff with the adults. And I think, unfortunately, part of that is just due to the casting. Yeah, I um, I think so. I mean, if you could have, uh, like, what was it about Annette O'Toole that, like, was it her look? Was it her her line delivery? Was it just her presence? Uh, was well, it- I think the biggest thing is that when it came time for her to transition into the strong Bev that is always there, the one that, despite being beaten down so many times, is nevertheless, there is that fire inside of her. Um I don't think a Netto tool necessarily brought it in the same kind of way that I would like. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Ashes, how about you? I say I completely agree with Gah. Um, <laughs> 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 no, I just uh, I really enjoy the portrayal of young Bev. I understand that they couldn't put certain things in because it was a made-for-TV miniseries, and that some things were just not family friendly for the most part um but i just thought that the portrayal of older bev just kind of came up flat for me Mm -hmm. and that was such a disappointment because you know you're she's the only female in this all-male cast and you know i just she really had a chance to shine Mm -hmm. and i don't know if it was her acting or if it was just poor script writing or, or or what it was, but I just I don't know this this character just the younger version I enjoyed, but the older version of Bev just didn't do it for me. I I agree. I I totally agree with you and Ga. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just I it really you know for me when I watched it the miniseries and all that it's the children's story is much more engaging and. Um, the young actress who plays Bev is she really captures that role even if it's only for for a little bit but like I felt like the personality didn't mash well with Annette O'Toole and I just it, it was a line delivery it just you know you're supposed to have this person who's gonna like be a strong female presence and it just lacked it really lacked yeah Ms. Wiley um Bev is complicated especially for me um, Bev and I, especially book Bev and I, have way too much in common to not be complicated. Um, so, Annette O'Toole, I didn't hate, actually, as grown-up Bev. I'm apparently the only person. Um, I thought she was fine. My biggest complaint, frankly, all the way around the, the bushel here, given that I didn't really love most of the adult casting in the first place, is um, there's kind of a thing that's supposed to be a thing with Bev and Bev is supposed to have red hair. It's kind of a thing. 
Um, so I do not enjoy the fact that neither Little Bev or Big Bev are gingers. Like, it's kind of infuriating, actually. Um, so, and I know there are actresses out there because, unfortunately, they, they did at one point cast Molly Ringwald. Uh, um, so I, yeah, 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 that's a problem. <laughs> But I, and it's hard for me to get past that problem in the first place. I didn't hate her. I thought she was fine. I, most of the adults, frankly, I thought were drastically miscast and like just painful. There were really only two adults that are cast that I liked and the rest can go fly a kite. Um, <laughs> which was, which was the ones you liked? I think that they did a great job with uh, Mike Hamlin. Yes. Oh yeah. Tim Reed. Definitely. I think Tim Reed was really well cast. Um, and then I also actually, especially upon re 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 watching the miniseries, I liked Harry Anderson as Richie. Yes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> See, um, I, I thought his shtick was just, it, it didn't work for me. That's the point. Uh, Richie is not actually supposed to be funny. Just, Richie just thinks Richie's really funny. Fair. Um, I relate to Richie. I was going to say, yeah, it reminds yeah. me of somebody I know. <laughs> Uh, he resembles that remark. Um, I, think, I think Dennis, Dennis Christopher did a decent job as Eddie. Yeah, uh, I hate no. everything that they did with Eddie. Poor Eddie. Yeah. Um, so I liked I liked her well enough. I thought she was okay. I think honestly, like she and God, oh, that whole thing, like the, like they really went off the rails for me when they put John Ritter as Ben. There was zero chemistry between the two of them, and like. The kissing seems. I was like, this is like watching Ellen DeGeneres when she used to be like in the closet and tried to kiss men. <laughs> yeah, John Ritter did have a curiously closed mouth kissing style. I don't know what it that was. It was really concerning to me. Which, um, is, which is funny because he was the one who suggested the Neto tool. They had worked together in the past. And I liked that the women laughed at that. Joke. <laughs> 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 We've all had to kiss a frog. Um, Ouch. <laughs> I didn't name the frogs. Um, we've all had to kiss a frog or two. Um, so yeah, I, do, I she didn't have a lot to work with. I, I don't even think she was particularly well written. There's a lot that goes on with. Again, they didn't do much to support the adult casting. Even if that casting was bad, they could have given them a little bit more to work with. So I didn't like her. So speaking of uh, could have done more, um, we're going to come to one that I was not a huge fan of, and as we're going alphabetically, uh, Bill Denbro. John Boy! John Big Bill Bo- or Little Bill? Uh, <laughs> more Little Bill, uh, especially the opening scene where Jonathan Brandis was trying to be convincing that he had a stutter. Oh, you leave Jonathan Brandis alone. <laughs> yeah! Listen, I watched Ladybugs, and I enjoyed that film, okay? Anything with Jack A. Harris and Rodney Dangerfield, sign me up. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Out of Jonathan Brandis's career, you go to That's Ladybugs? To Ladybugs. You go you know, to Ladybugs? You know why? Dude, Sequest. Jack- Listen, Sequest, it, come on. It does have it Jack A. Harris, I used to watch 227 all the time. Oh, man. I don't know if that's a show you guys are even familiar with. I, am I also, kind of on I also board the have, Team Jack A, sorry. Yeah. I also would have accepted Never Ending Story Part 2. No, no, nobody should accept that. <laughs> no. It had the flash in it. I'll accept it. That's the problem. So, <laughs> I thought Richard Thomas did a decent job, um, but he didn't have that... See, Bill in the book is this commanding presence. Like, anytime he walks into a room, he just has this... Uh, 
to use one of El Goro's big words, gravitas. Uh, it's not a word I use very often, but I feel that this well, is Well, I mean, word. you're so unfamiliar with the meaning. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's the type of thing, a, a word that would describe who Bill is, even as a kid. Like, anytime something was going to happen, everybody looked to Bill like it was unspoken. Like, whatever he wanted to do, they went along with it. Even if they didn't completely agree with it, or even if they, you know, were afraid, whatever Bill wanted to do, that's what they did. And yeah. I yeah. don't think either one of them brought that uh, that to the screen. In a, ju- in a just world, they would have been able to get River Phoenix to play him. I mean, oh, I know he, he was Chris in Stand yeah. By Me, but he had that vibe. He was also young Indiana Jones. I mean... True. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we need to dwell on the miscasting of Bill unless uh, Ashes, Nicole, you have anything? Yeah, I hated... Adult Bill. Young Can Bill we talk is okay. about the ponytail? Yeah, that annoyed oh, the fuck out of me. <laughs> like, I, the whole movie, I'm just like, I just want to cut his hair. Yep. Can I, I please just fix his hair? And what the fuck is with that mole? Like, I was Thank talking to, oh, I was talking to Chris. And I was like, <laughs> it's like making Austin Powers. No, you know what it reminds me? Molly, Molly, Richard, <laughs> Richard Lewis in. Robin Hood men in tights. You just want to cut it up and make some guacamole. Like, what the fuck is with that mole? Richard Lewis and men in tights. I have a mole? Like, that, uh Yeah, I just, yeah. It's but like, you know what? When I, when I think about early 90s horror writers, the majority of them had ponytails. So he had I a very, that. Give him a goatee and he's Gary Gygax. <laughs> like, it's so bad, though. Like, it's so painfully bad. Yeah, I... I like, I, I believe nothing about him, and that ponytail is probably 65% of why I can't believe anything. And here's part of my issue I had with this, and it, it bugged the shit out of it. When he's checking into the hotel, and the girl's like, oh, yeah, this is Ruth Ann. That, remember that one word, Ruth Ann. Oh, yeah. And she's, like, patting the stack of books, like, hey, sign my stack of books. And he's just like, yep, and leaves. Like, she didn't even ask him for an autograph. <laughs> it's like, you have this, all these books here? And you're talking about how you're like such a huge fan, and like you don't even attempt. Like you just. Pat uh, to be fair, a lot of people definitely choke. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I will say though, I will take Richard Thomas over Olivia Hussey any day of the week. That's that's fair. <sighs> I'm not a fan of Olivia Hussey. I'm really not. I seem to be the only horror fan that isn't. I described Olivia Hussey last night to Ian as <laughs> as a poor man's Jane Seymour. She really um, is. Yeah. She was like a she she in this film, I don't want to speak for anything else, but in this film, she was kind of like And she was an afterthought. Well, it's like a sex doll that was recently wished to life by a benevolent doll maker. <laughs> it's just her voice, man. I've never heard her in anything where she sounds like she is actually not just saying lines. Yeah. And I, I get into arguments with horror fans all the time because everybody says, oh, Black Christmas. It's like, she was terrible in a Black Christmas. You had Margot <laughs> Kidder right there who was acting her goddamn crazy ass off. And then you have Olivia Hussey, the least interesting girl in that sorority house. Well, she didn't have to be. It's not exactly like Jane Eyre. Like, I suppose, it, but I don't know. There's still I mean, ways. It's, not, it's not a Daphne du Maurier adaptation. Like, she didn't have to have gravitas to be functional in Black Christmas. But she could have been entertaining, I guess. I, I, 
to me, it, it always just seems like she's reciting lines rather than acting. Yeah, that's that's a big difference. Like, you know, there's there's going on and, and, and reading your lines and, and, you know, performing, and then there's bringing a character to life. I mean, you can appreciate this, uh, Steph. Imagine if uh, they'd cast Marina Sirtis in that role. Well, then I would just be happy. Right? <laughs> She definitely could have done it. I take, but that I, has nothing to do with anything. I'm just. I like, hold to you. You could take any Olivia Hussey role and then put in Marina Sirtis. It will inf- instantly become ten times better. Uh, Marina Sirtis would agree, and so would Stephanie Nicole. There we go. All right, so I think that's enough uh, bill bashing. So let's <laughs> let's move on to the uh, glue that holds the group together. Uh, Mr. Eddie Kasprak and Stephanie. This is something I mentioned to you. Uh, another. He reminded me a lot of another character, um, Pete Moore from uh, Dreamcatcher, only in that they had the same type of uh, innate directional ability, like being able to find where they need to go, you know, find lost items. Like they just, that was their gift. Like Bill was the writer, Ben could build anything. Eddie just had this like insane sense of direction, which, you know, is one of the reasons that they're not still wandering the uh, the sewers of Derry as we speak. Um, how did I know you are not a fan, Stephanie? So I think we'll go to you last on mm-hmm. on, on the the Eddie casting. But uh, what did uh, Agent Nicole? What did you think of how Eddie was portrayed in the book? What did did you like Eddie's character? I didn't read the book. First of all, I said that earlier. But you saw the movie. What did I you think saw, of Eddie's I mean, character? Eddie as the child was great. I think the casting of adult Eddie, not so much. I think I just po- it popped in my head. Rick Moranis would have been a good Eddie. Yeah, I think. Um, I don't know. I just I didn't I didn't like it. It yeah. just didn't flow well for me. Ashes. Um, I agree with Nicole for the most part. Uh, I think that the casting of young Eddie worked, mm-hmm. uh, whereas old uh, the adult Eddie not so much at. Excuse me. Again, like I don't know if it's it was just the script writing or if it was the casting or if it was the fact that, you know, they were trying to take this very lengthy book and turn it into a made for television, you know, like cable television miniseries. Um I don't know, it, it just there was something off about the character of Eddie and like I said I'm not super far in the book so it's it's a little difficult for me to kind of really compare and contrast some of these characters I'm working on it um, but I just I don't know it's just one of those characters that I could give or take see you know I, I, yeah just uh, to wait just to wait till you oh, finish yeah. the book and then go back and watch it and you're just like uh my, uh. my biggest issue <laughs> is that they almost tried to make Eddie seem really effeminate and like <sighs> they turned his character into some weird amalgamation of like repressed sexuality that I think that maybe to do with the, like the Adrian Mellon stuff being taken out of the whole yeah. thing of the first place like was that like they turned him into what effectively turned into a very closeted gay man um, he even did a looks lot like tr- Andy Dick they did okay, a yeah, lot of that's tr- who I was thinking of earlier. They did a lot of the tropes of gay stereotypes with him, and 
they kind of like it felt like this weird amalgamation of them stockpiling all of repressed sexuality, whether it be gay, straight, or other, um, into one character very needlessly, especially given some of the lines he spits out at the very end. Um, and then, like, what happens in the book that can't happen in any of the movies or miniseries? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, like, that's how he got very... his sense of direction back. <laughs> so many men have said that. Um, it's <laughs> really strange, uh, and that's what I don't like. I actually think the casting is fine. Yes, it's what they did with Eddie that I abhor. I agree um, with you on that. Why yeah. did they turn him into some weird? closeted gay spinster who then is like we are finding out that he like eventually dies a virgin like what the like why 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 like that that whole thing like it was so dumb like i agree the casting like young eddie old eddie like that's that's almost spot on that's almost exactly how i imagined eddie would be except even in the book like yeah maybe he's this you know as as he's described, this thin-chested, you know, small-stature person. But he has, like, you know, a personality other than, like, oh, I, you know, my mom and my mom, and I live with my mom. Like, the whole, like, hypochondria thing, they really didn't, like, they barely scratched the surface with his inhaler. Like, they they didn't give him, like, he had the strength to get away from his wife in the in the in the book and his wife is this overbearing you know very maternal figure he essentially he married, married his, his mother exactly yeah. the same way beverly married her father right um they they never really got into who eddie was like he had and i think that was a, a problem with a lot of these characters like there was really no growth it's like here they were as kids here they are as adults there you go and so it was up to the actors to kind of like try and bring some life to these characters. But the characters were so complex and the way they were written for the TV movie, they they really didn't have much uh, uh, much of a, uh, a free reign to say, OK, this is I'm going to make this character. It's almost like they were just handed a script and they're like, OK, well, here's the source material. Like now nah, I'll just wing it, you know, and. <laughs> Well, I, I think the simplification of the characters came as a result of them dramatically paring down the runtime of this. I mean, uh, as this was originally conceived, it was supposed to be eight to ten episodes or eight to ten hours, and they had to bring it down to two episodes over the course of two nights. But I think the only thing that prevents, and I'm with you, the transformations of Eddie's character. I think he's he had arguably one of the greatest disservices done to him as far as the depth of his character goes. But I think the only reason I can't completely dismiss it is simply due to the performance of Dennis Christopher. Yes, he is dealing with a very simplistic character. Yes, he is not given a whole hell of a lot to do. But he has an innate talent of acting through his eyes. He has these broad, expressive eyes. And and when it came time for him to convey to the rest of them just the depth of feeling he has, he was able to bring that ap- across r- regardless of the hokey dialogue that he had. He felt committed to his role. And I can't help but think, 
when we were talking about you know how things were simplified and all of these things, why the children's side of it, which were the, even then they simplified the roles of the children, works for us so much better than the adults. And I think if one thing that mi- that might uh, help that process is that essentially all of these characters were boiled down and simplified into broad archetypical terms. We have the the former fat kid. We have you know the the uh, the nebbish uh, mama's boy. But when we see them as children, we accept those sort of generic stereotypes because our views of childhood are always going to be tinged with nostalgia. We think back uh, back on our own childhood and people we knew, and all too often they get kind of put into those categories. If you try to do that with an adult, as we watch it with adult eyes, it comes off as false. We see these characters for the shallow caricatures that they actually are. So for children, we can accept it, but for the adults, I think that's where it fell down. I think that's I a think for, fair assessment. I don't know. I think for me, there's just like a real issue with what they tried to... They tried to smush... They didn't know what to do with a lot of the characters, frankly, I think. I don't think there was a there was room for enough subtlety with a lot of the characters to make them different people. Um, in the the shortened version of I guess the miniseries, given again the eleven hundred pages that Stephen King had, um, so I just I feel like they tried to put themes from the book and superimpose them onto certain characters. Like maybe they felt like they didn't have enough to work with with Eddie. Mm. So they tried to superimpose some of the homosexuality and that latent fear of sexuality into that character of Eddie. And then I just don't understand, A, why and why they made it such a thing and why they made it so over the top. And then his whole, like, why do I know that in theory, in the the miniseries, he died a virgin? Why do I know that? What good (laughs) comes of that? Like, why do I know? Why did, like, there's shit you leave out. I get that. But why did you add that? Because they had to throw in that joke by uh, Harry Anderson. Well, I can't help you with that, buddy. <laughs> well, and you I, know, I think Harry Anderson's hilarious. Maybe it, maybe they were going for something with the idea that when he encountered it, it was in a you know he was naked. He had, and so it's tied into the whole fear of intimacy or fear of being naked. You know, because of the whole shower thing. It's under it's understated and not in a particularly good way. So it's ill defined. I think they may have been going for something there. Like you said, you could point to the other th- themes of the th- uh, from the novel they were trying to engage with. They just didn't pull it off. I agree. Um, Should have been a little bit more nightmare too. Yeah. So let's <laughs> let's move on. Oh, cur- definitely should have had the dresser booty bump scene. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, that should have been the like, introduction I, I can't, to old Eddie. <laughs> I can't not close dressers now without like dancing my butt into them because that's what you do now. Mm. There you go. <laughs> so let's move on. Uh, and I know Stephanie, you were happy with with this casting. Uh, as, as you as well, Elgo. Uh, Mike Hanlon. Oh, I love Mike. So uh, both young and old. Yes, Marlon Taylor and uh, Tim Reed as the uh, the older older version of Mike Hanlon. The problem with Mike is that he kind of gets short shrift as young Mike. He barely shows up in the whole childhood narrative. That's yeah. because like the whole thing about his childhood cannot be discussed. This is true. It yeah. would be very difficult. Like his whole backstory cannot really be discussed. <laughs> yeah. But even just even just with the with the way they constructed the Losers Club, he was the last to join. You know, but he was 
class to join. True, but in the film, by doing it that way, it seems to have diminished his role in the childhood narrative, you know? I also think it the portrayal of the apocalyptic rock fight, which was so integral to the plot that it had its own, like, chapter heading. Like, that got really downplayed. It was, what, two, three minutes long? I mean, you can spend right. a little more time on that and less time about Eddie's sex life. Then, like, I thank hope, you. I, thank you. Thank you. I hope they uh, do that better in the film. I want some slow motion, like a Sam Peckinpah at the end of Wild Bunch <laughs> depiction yes. of that rock fight. Because, I mean, because it's supposed to be pretty lit. Yeah, like, it was insane. Like, there was, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was Bowers and it was Belch Huggins and Patrick Hochstetter and they had, like, the two other guys. Victor Chris. Victor Chris, yes, I couldn't think of his name. Then they had, like, the two other kids that were kind of preppy, but, like, kind of wanted to be bad boys, but, like, when they saw what Henry was up to, they're like, no, we don't want to be this bad. And, like, they ran off. So it was, it was, that was one of the, the most disappointing things. And Mike's just like, hey, help me. They're like, oh, okay, you know, and it shows how accepting they are of him, but that scene, I mean, Mike was, Mike was the glue that held everything together. Like, Mike was so important. And, yeah, I mean, there's no way, I mean, I don't think, but, like, I would love to see, you know, his exploration of the Kitchener Ironworks. Like, that would be fantastic. That completely got scrapped. Yeah. Um, a lot of, oh. all of Mike's back, all of Mike's backstory, including the stuff that would be relatively safe for... Um, for television, like basically all of him being a historian and like even as a little kid being into history and being into the dairy history, which makes sense for like why he stayed behind, mm-hmm. um, which can look, frankly, when you rewatch the the miniseries, it can come across actually kind of like, frankly, a bit racist and dismissive that like everyone else is successful, but the black kid, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't come. It doesn't play well if you don't know the source material. Right. Yeah, I mean, he he throws out a line saying, you know, I I stayed because it was my choice, but still. And uh, uh, but like the the whole part about the whole movie is they talk about like in theory that things were their choice, but they were never their choices. Like mm-hmm. Ben was an architect from the jump. He built the baby dam. He built the, not the baby. He built the real dam when they were building their shitty baby dam. Bill always told stories. Richie always told jokes and did voices. Um, I mean, Stan, whatever, fuck you, Stan. Um, <laughs> oh, like, fuck you, Stan. Stan, Stan gets on my everlasting nerve. Um, so, I mean, they were all, they all had their roles from the jump, and Mike was always the historian, and he was always going to be the glue. He was always going to be the one that was responsible for pulling them back. Um, so the, t- to take a lot of his story out in that capacity is detrimental to the overall story of that is being told. And I thought um, his was the most interesting uh, of all the stories. I mean, like, you get into the whole thing with his dad and Henry Bauer's dad and the, the fire at the black spot with Dick Hanlon. Right. Um, I mean, not Dick Hanlon. <sighs> Jesus. Halloran. Halloran, yes. Um, I was, like, drawing a complete blank. Um, you know, and I'm going to give you a break from time to time, so his, I'm letting uh, that one slide. His, uh, his time in the army digging holes like that that whole scene right there like him meeting with the uh the loggers or his or, you know all, relating all this from his dad like his dad telling him this as he you know he's 
suffering from cancer, his dad talking about seeing Pennywise, seeing the, the, the bird, you know, like yeah. all that shit. Like that yeah. was so much more interesting than anybody else's story. And it just like, it was like, oh, and here's our black friend, you know, <laughs> right. it's like, like the only significant uh, contribution that they had in the whole thing. And Stephanie, you, you and I talked about this is... Uh, the fact that they twice used a specific word to uh, discuss uh, Mr. Hanlon, both times by uh, Henry Bowers, once young, once old. So, yep. and, and it may, no, it's used twice when he's little. Is it twice like, in that same I scene? It, I just thought about that when you mentioned it. Um, but yeah, that word doesn't fly with me. And I sometimes I can't read a physical copy of a book, so I'll just have an audio book on. And sometimes I don't have my headphones on, and it'll just be out and playing. Usually in my own home, and I'm still uncomfortable. That's the best part. Like I'm in my own home, the audio playing and that word on repeat. I'm just like, oh Christ! I hope my neighbors can't hear this. Yeah, because it's <laughs> it's used a lot. It's like Tarantino levels. It's like a comma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, it, it was a greaser in the '50s, so. That's... No, no, I don't. No, I don't hold it against um, Stephen King in that respect at all. I. I think that the usage of it and the fact that it is used so much, I think is really different than Tarantino. Tarantino does it because Tarantino is Tarantino. Stephen King doesn't do it in every book. No, No. he doesn't. It doesn't come like, it's not a, it's not a thoroughfare for his books. It's just this one. It's come up, I think a few times in other stories and I'm sure it has, but in this book it plays a part and it also goes to playing and setting a tone and setting of identity. And so, like, there's nothing about Mike, in theory, that would set him apart except for his skin. Yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't be a loser, you know, air quotes, loser, if it weren't for his skin and the designation assigned to him because of that skin, which I mean, is taking things out of his out of his control. Like, there's stuttering Bill, so B- Bill's got his stutter, like, okay, Eddie is poor little Eddie with his little asthma. Um, Fat Ben, there's poor Bev, who is so fucked on so many levels. There's stupid Stan. <laughs> Fuck Stan. Stan. Uh, for real. Fuck Stan. Um, Mike. And then Richie's just... Richie, again, Richie thinks Richie's funny and Richie's not funny. But he tries. God Richie's love him. funny. He's funny as an adult. He, um, But, you know, he, he thinks he's far funnier than he is. But then, like, the only thing really about Mike that makes him fit into the Losers Club, and it's a bit of a different kind of identity is they like i mean so each part of them is a loser and they have different uh subsets of society embedded into each of them mm-hmm. um so i mean bill's bill's stutters so that's kind of one thing you know eddie is sickly like they all have these different things about them and stan has the nerd down on pat so um like that couldn't be Mike's bag. So Mike's nerd identity comes from his physical manifestation, like his skin. Yeah. Uh, and that's why he's rejected by society. And that's why he fits into the losers club because there's nothing else about him that would have him fit into that club. Right. Uh, so uh, maybe maybe his interest a- in history, but yeah, it's much more about the skin color. Yeah. Cause like you said, Stan's got the, the nerd <laughs> angle covered. Who's whoever says they want to be a, fucking ornithologist when they grow up shut up Stan. <laughs> like, well and, Sa- and Stan also has the fact that he's uh jewish working against him at least as far as that uh community goes well that just means he's rich and says oi a lot <laughs> right. johnny um, we're allowed to reach over and slap him 
Well, but so, I mean, no, no, that's actually really important because if you, in the book as well, that's huge for Stan and Myra. Yes. Like, there's a whole thing with Myra, the whole mermaid scene where Myra, Stan's wife that he marries, um, has this whole thing about... His his wife's not Myra. Eddie's wife is Myra. Eddie, yeah. I forget what his... Shit, now I gotta look it up. Um, Anyway, his wife... God love her. She, why can I remember her last name is Blum and not her first name? Uh, she, well, because it's a thing. She's Jewish. They're both Jewish. And it's a real problem for her. Like, and it really fucks up her existence as well. Like, she talks about going to prom and then trying to go to a party afterwards um, and not being allowed in because she is Jewish. And, you know, like, like the words that come out of her mouth regarding her own Jewishness are very derogatory. And it's again, an absorption of an identity, but for her and for them, Judaism would be a religion, not necessarily an ethnic identity. And so that again is separate from being black. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. All right. So I think we're going to move on to, uh, to Richie now. And I think Richie was the beep, most, beep, Richie. the most perfectly cast, um, uh, Seth Green character, yeah, young Seth Green and old Harry Anderson. Like I thought that was absolutely perfect. Um, beep beep. Uh, yeah, I like I like it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say anything bad about it. I mean, it's as far as like book to screen, like it's the perfect casting. Um, I don't think you could have picked anybody better. Um, and I'm very interested to see how uh, Finn Wolfhard does as uh, as Richie in the in the new movie. Yeah, especially since he wasn't terribly comedic in Stranger Things. But you know, he's an actor. Let's see where his range is at. Well, I mean, what, what else have you seen him in? Exactly. <laughs> Give him a minute. This is true. I, I'm um, giving him all, all of the uh, all of the respect that he deserves. So, I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot that needs to be said about. His scene in the library, though, when they like are still trying to figure out where the fuck Stan is, because Stan's a loser. Um, fucking Stan. <laughs> like, they're trying to figure out what's going on with stupid Stan, and he's just like cracking jokes. And I was like, dude, if that was me and my friends in that room right there, I would have been dying. Like, he would have been slaying. Like, I would have been cracking up. It would have been like, I don't know, like Guatemala. Like, I would have been laughing so hard at his shenanigans, you know? Like, I genuinely found him charming and endearing and very funny in that moment specifically. Yes. There was some other stuff earlier, like when he's in the library by himself, that I didn't necessarily love. But when he's got that ability to lean into the humor, I thought it was really charming. I agree. I, and Harry Anderson, I mean, I, I grew up watching Night Court. Night Court. Yeah. Night Court. Yeah, he was just so – and he's got – if you ever get a chance, he's got um, – Saturday Night Live used to have comedians on, and he has this whole thing where he's doing, like, sleight-of-hand magic as he's telling a story. And, like, there's one – and I don't remember any of what he was saying. Whatever, he's smoking a cigarette, and he keeps throwing it on the ground and stepping on it to put it out. And, like – he lifts his hands up, and the, the cigarette's there again in his hand. Like, it's it's just a simple thing. Like, you know he's not really throwing it on the ground every time, but every time you see it hit the ground, but ev- he's still got it in his hand, and he keeps taking drags off of it. Um, 
like that stuck out to me more than anything, and that's why I really enjoyed him uh, as Richie. He just has that natural comedic talent, and he's incredibly uh, intelligent. He was on uh, Celebrity Jeopardy, and th- this is I don't know probably... where they obviously asked the hardest questions. Well, he was he was doing really well. I mean, they were asking some difficult questions, and he was absolutely dominant. Like it wasn't even close. Like I he heard was, he's like living in New Orleans now. He's not acting anymore. He's just like doing his own thing, which I can respect, especially after you moved to New Orleans. Why would you want to leave ever again? But right. you know, so you know we're uh, we're starting to get pretty uh, pretty late here. So we're going to try and get these last couple uh, wrapped up quickly. So uh, we we've spoken a lot about uh, how much Stan sucks, but uh, uh, I, I do have to mention though the actor who played him, Richard Masur, he was in John Carpenter's The Thing as Clark. Yes, yes he was. Had to throw that out there. Yep. Uh, I look <laughs> totally different characters. I was looking at his uh, his IMDb picture. I'm like, that guy looks familiar. I'm like, oh, yep, there we go. That's because he's in a ton of stuff. Yes. But, I mean, the thing is, you know. And he serves his purpose as stupid Stan just fine. Whatever. He does. He, As the actor, like, he did a nice job. I think he he, act, he, he didn't have a lot to character. do. No. Um, I, I, do like, I do like his little lines of dialogue in the fridge. The head in the fridge. Just making terrible jokes the entire time. Yeah, ripping on, again, ripping on well, any sex life. Well, but that's not life. him. <laughs> no, but that's not him in the fridge. It's, it's Pennywise in the fridge. Yeah. So... I think you know we we we've talked enough about Stan because he doesn't contribute. He doesn't much. deserve it. No, fuck um, Stan. <laughs> fuck Stan. So let his friends down. That's the most damning thing about him. Yes, he's on the same page with Dumbo. Fuck Hell, them both. Even even you know Eddie was terrified and Eddie still came back and he did what he needed to do. Eddie so. was a virgin. Yeah, not in the book, but in the in the movie. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap this up with a little bit of uh, talk about Pennywise and how fucking amazing Tim Curry was as Absolutely. as 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 this clown and you know a lot of a lot of actors could have just phoned it in and it's like oh it's a made for TV movie I'm already a star I've I'm I'm very well respected like you know all these other people around me are for the most part TV actors. You know, John Ritter, John Boy, uh, uh, Harry Anderson. You know, for the most part, like that's where everyone was was uh, the most well known. But then you get Tim Fucking Curry, and he he just blew me away. Now, Agent Nicole, what did you think of Tim Curry as Pennywise? I love clowns, so I don't have a fear of clowns, but. He is actually my favorite clown, Pennywise, Tim Curry as Pennywise. He's phenomenal. There's nothing more to say. He's phenomenal as Pennywise. Ashes? Well, I think everybody knows that I have a deep love for Tim Curry. Um, The man can do no wrong in my eyes, to be honest with you. And his role as Pennywise is just brilliant. Um, I, I, I've never been one to be afraid of clowns or people in makeup. I mean, hello, drag queens. But um, he, he, I'm, I was a little terrified. I mean, I was a little scared. Like there were times when he just, you know, the way that he he portrays this character and lures you into this false sense of security. And I, 
made the mistake of watching the the miniseries before. Well, so not really made the mistake, but I watched the the miniseries before reading the book. Like I said, I'm about a quarter of the way in right now. And I have this vision of all of the characters and all of the characters, um, the way I see them are definitely different than how they were uh, portrayed in in the, sh- the the movie, except for Pennywise. When I'm reading Pennywise's lines, I'm hearing Tim Curry's voice. Like when I'm envisioning him, I'm envisioning uh, Tim Curry's portrayal. It's just become so iconic and so ingrained, and you know I don't hate it. Uh, Stephanie, um, I mean, I think for me, one of the best parts is like. Tim Curry doesn't phone it in. He also doesn't hold back. And that's the beauty of him playing a literal clown is that he gets to ham it up all over the screen. And it's kind of like a French accent where you can't really actually overdo it. Like there, if he had held back at all, it would have felt so flat and it just would have fallen flat on its face. But since he just goes full in, it's hysterical and it's disturbing. Like, e- even if you're not afraid of clowns, you don't have any issues with clowns, you know nothing good is coming to this clown. <laughs> like, you know nothing good is going to happen here. This fucker is not right. Like, everyone knows this. And he does a great job really relishing the moment and taking his time with the moment. Um, it could have been really rushed. A lot of his jokes or a lot of his his looks um, could have been rushed, but he takes his beats and I really appreciate that. Like, again, he's in the, the library taunting Richie, you know, and just, like, spouting terrible jokes. You know, do you have Prince Albert in a game? Oh, you better let him out. Like, that's funny shit when it comes out of him. Like, it comes out of anyone else, and it's just like, wait, what? Um, but it come, like coming from him and the way he says it, you realize just, A, how terrible the joke is, and how he doesn't want to be funny. He just wants to fuck with you. Um that's what I, I think he does a masterful job at it. And I, I mean, I was watching an interview that he was doing in a fan expo and he brought like someone else was asking him about Macaulay Culkin. And then he brings up this story uh, kind of out of the blue about how he feels for child actors and he feels badly for them because they oftentimes don't know what they're doing there. And he said the little boy who played Georgie, you know, they're doing the scene and all of a sudden he hears a little voice go, Tim. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, you're scaring me. And he's like, yeah, I mean, kind of what I'm here for, son. <laughs> Deal with it, you little a, fucker. No, he said, you know, I'm sorry, but, like, that's kind of the point. So I, I thought that was really, like, an interesting little, you know, they, I, he said that you have a relationship with child stars or you don't when you meet them and you do these shows. And, I mean, he's, you should be afraid of him. There's nothing good coming to this damn clown. No. Um, El Goro, let's uh, wrap up with you here. Well, I think it's very telling that when the announcement came out that they were moving forward on a Knit remake, that there was a backlash. I mean, even amongst us that enjoy the It miniseries, we uh, will pretty much admit that it's a very flawed adaptation. Thus, it seems primed for a more accurate or just another at-bat to the material. Yet the majority of the criticism that was leveled against it became the loudest when it was announced uh, Bill Skarsgård was taking on the role of Pennywise, and there was even the big backlash on how he looked. And I think all of that just speaks to the 
iconographic status that Tim Curry enjoys in his role as Pennywise. This is one of the true icons of horror for people of a certain generation who remember it from childhood, or even people discovering it today because his performance truly does transcend the decades. He is absolutely superb in this role. He was uh, he embraced it with everything he had. He could seamlessly transition between the hokey clown and the forward-facing illusion of an eldritch being. And he is just so profoundly unsettling in these small little moments. I still think one of the scariest moments he has is that very weird scene where he is showing his deadlights to Audra and he just keeps repeating, Don't you want it? Don't you want it? And it just pan in on him. That's just so goddamn unsettling to me for some reason. Yeah, he is he is superb. He is the reason that this um, very flawed but still enjoyable miniseries is remembered as as fondly as it is today. It's all down to Tim Curry. Yep, and I completely agree with that. Um, Tim Curry very nearly had a second role as a terrifying clown. Uh, he secured the role of the Joker in Batman the Animated Series. And, and then they fired him. They fired him because he had bronchitis. They didn't want to wait. Yep. Oof. Oh, well, no. uh, I will say, and uh, El Goro, I'm sure you will agree with me on this, Mark Hamill does a fucking amazing Joker. <laughs> he is the definitive Joker, in my eyes. Um, so, you know, just a little tidbit out there. So I think we're going to do, we're going to go to a break. Actually, you know what, I don't think we're going to do a break because we ran pretty long. We have long. voicemails though, don't we? We do have, uh, we have a couple of voicemails and then uh, we'll wrap up with uh, Stephanie result. and El Goro with our battle result and uh, preview for next week's show. And then uh, I think that'll, that'll pretty much do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, we have two, two voicemails uh, from Nick. So why don't you play his uh, his uh, Indiana Jones voicemail first, because uh, I know he meant to leave that uh, when we did our Indiana Jones show, but he wasn't able to. And then we'll wrap up with uh, the other two. Did, I'm just checking. Did you know how long they were? I don't. Okay, they're six minutes each, just to let you know. Oh, okay. I don't know if you want to hold off on the Indiana Jones. Yeah, maybe tack those on it just... Uh, and we can tack those on at the end. Um, but yeah, let's let's do the it voicemails because this has been a long show. No, oh, I think it's yeah. Well, it's a long book and a long mini series. Yeah, it's got to be a true. long show. Hey, throw down Thursday, Nick here. Uh, I saw Patrick was talking about you guys are going to do uh, 1990s or 1991. It, Stephen King's It for review, and I thought I'd give my feelings on this film. Um, now, my feelings on movies are definitely not the popular opinion ever. Ever, ever. I hate a lot of stuff that is loved, but I don't hate this movie. I, I, I did hate this movie for the longest time. I think I rated it like an F, which is ridiculous. No movie's an F unless it's like Bird a new horror movie nowadays. Um, this movie's too long. I, I, let me get all the stuff I don't like out first. This movie's far too long, but it's not its fault. It was set up as a two-day miniseries, um, which 
I'm Learning was very popular in the 90s because uh, years and years and years ago I bought Rose Red and I remember seeing Rose Red which is another Stephen King book that was a miniseries um, I remember picking up Rose Red like in the $5 bin at Walmart years and years and years ago and I was like oh I remember this when it was on TV and I stupidly didn't remember it was a two day event so I put this in and I'm just like this doesn't work for me anymore this this you know and and that's kind of what it was i don't remember it obviously i was too young um when that aired but um was old it's so so there's that and like you just feel the length and that's fine i mean and then there's giggity uh, i don't know I, I i know this is sacrilegious huge king fans but this movie was better when it was called A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I will cut you. And listen, <laughs> they aren't trying to do A Nightmare on Elm Street. They they really are trying to do something different. But there's just too much feeling of A Nightmare on Elm Street to me. And, and just about? how A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'm sure they pulled a little bit from that. Uh, obviously being like, you know, around? instead of making them teenagers, having them as... Well, even as kids, like, showing them as kids, like things are changing or Pennywise is changing things like him showing the fat kid his dad and then you know him becoming a clown or or um you, you know and then doing it again as an adult um where like i.e. the 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 kid with the asthma seeing the the his old pharmacist and then he turns into like that zombie which that is where I'm going to talk about some of the good stuff <sighs> I gotta keep this short. I, I leave you guys too long of ones. So, yeah. So, length, the the kind of Nightmare on Elm Street-ishness to me is kind of like, okay, we get it. I kind of rather watch Nightmare on Elm Street just because nothing against Tim Curry. He does a very good job. I just think when it comes to someone terrorizing someone as like a... And, and it's not Nightmare on Elm Street. That's where I, I, I don't even know if I have a legitimate retort with it because it's technically not Nightmare on Elm Street. They are, they're having visions, but they're not like dreaming. And then that's the whole thing with Nightmare on Elm Street is they're dreaming. But like, I just feel like Robert England knocks it out of the park as an antagonist, as you know, the one, and they do similar things. You know, Pennywise will create things to scare them, and, and, and uh, Freddy Krueger will become things to scare them also. But I just prefer Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, getting that out of the way, the things I like. The makeup, I thought, was fantastic. And not for the time. And we we had great stuff before that. Because I hate when people say, oh, for a little time. Like, you can only say for the time if it's, like, 1950s. Like, The Invisible Man was fantastic for the time. I don't even know how they did some of the tricks for that. But this, the makeup was really good. I, I forgot to look who did it, but um, I don't think it was Canby, but amazing like like the 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 old woman that like deteriorated into a zombie and the um the pharmacist who deteriorated to a zombie was fantastic work really enjoyed that that really gave it some points for me but um and like i said i liked the kids this time i felt like i mean everyone likes the kids you know they want more of the kids and i felt like um, I said that wrong. I actually, I like the kids. I always like the kids part of this movie, but I actually understood the adult side more. Um, Dynamo put a point where he's like, as an older, you know, as I grew up, I, I understand the adult side more. I see that, and I don't still see that. I see how he means it, 
And I also see it as like, you know, it would make sense. They're they're scared now. They're they're they they don't want to go back to it, and they're going back to it. And you know, some some people in the group are just like, let's just leave this, even though they know it's terrorism. They got to do something. So it does work. It does work a lot more with me. It's just too long. It's way too long a movie. They could cut easily a half hour out of this movie and be a two and a half hour movie, and it it wouldn't miss a beat. So besides some editing and some trimming up, it's not bad. I say that, but I really don't want to watch it again. I picked up the Blu-ray, and I don't know. I'll probably donate it to the library. Um, It's just nothing you want to pop in and watch. It's a three-hour and 17-minute movie. It's nothing you want to be like, hey, let's watch A Nightmare on Elm Street or something. You know, It's not one of those movies. Let's sit here and sit through this epic. And it's really not an epic. It's, It's just, I don't know, it's just too long. That's my main fault against it. And that really shouldn't be, but I'm sorry. It's just too long. Um, but besides that, it's not terrible. It's not what I used to say about it. It's just... There's just things they could do better. And I just feel like they're harping on a nightmare now a little too much. And that's what I personally see. Maybe people don't see that. I see that. And that's distracting for me. So, sorry for this long one, but that's my feelings on it. Um, it's about a C for me. Um, if you grew up with it, like you remember the miniseries, I'm sure it would work great. I think... Tim Curry does a fantastic... Not fantastic. He does a... What? What? He's not really used that much. It's more, you know, the scares and stuff. But he's he's fine. He does he does fine. But, um... Tim fucking Curry. Yep. Thanks for listening to this. Thanks for playing it. Bye. Well, as you heard from what we've... Our reactions, we don't completely agree with your assessment, Nick, but we do respect your opinion, and we thank you for sending in a voicemail. All this talk about length, but no mention of girth. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, as Chucky would say, it's not the size that counts, asshole. It's what you do with it. Exactly. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, let's let's move on to uh, Evil Corny's voicemail, because we are... Yeah, Evil Corny! We're going long on this one. Hey, guys. This is Evil Corny. I have a question for Wally. I'd like to know who would win in a fight or battle between Jason Momoa and Pennywise. I think, you know, Pennywise would win, but, you know, I just want to know what Stephanie thinks. Y'all have a good one. Wait, are we talking talking Pennywise the Clown or Pennywise the Band? I don't know, Pennywise the band, it might be unfair. There's like four of them. He could take them? He probably could. Like Age, he's the aging, punk, aging punk guys versus Hawaiian Adonis? I mean, yeah, he probably could. Jason Momoa can make me have a nosebleed instantly, I mean. Right, have you seen him with an axe? Like, hello. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> what kind of fight are we talking about? Um, like, that's an f- interesting question, Buffy. Thank you for asking. Um, I don't even know if that's like a real question, though. Um, I I don't I don't know. I mean, win what? Like, win like, your win. heart. Oh well, if, are we after my heart or after something else? Um, uh, shut up. <laughs> um, I mean, it'd be like a better question to be like, who would win between like Jason Momoa or? 
Nikolai Kostervaldo. That's a better fight. Um, however, they'd both be really sweaty and I'd have to intervene. Um, oh, my God. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. I don't even think that's a real question. I think that, you know, Buffy just wants to hear me talk about my love of Jason Momoa and the fact that he is a piece of meat. All right. Well, uh... <laughs> I like that that's the voicemail for your show. Well, all right, then. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think Jason Momoa might win if he has the heart of a child in a jar that he can use to believe and repel Pennywise. What's, uh... That was fun. <laughs> so we, we have, uh... We have some, some, some battle results, do we not? We yeah. do. Uh, would you like to, uh enlighten us on who won our battle between uh well what was the battle uh between han solo and uh oh uh, lord indiana jones the winner was harrison Harrison ford Ford. (laughs) all day every day harrison ford won he took took all three places yes gold silver and bronze he went in great length for number one as indiana jones though I, I heard he had great length. I mean, have you seen all the different women he had throughout the uh, the series? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, Man, I still feel compelled to like whoop his ass and steal his girlfriend. Like Harrison Ford portrays the literal worst boyfriends ever. <laughs> I just feel like I need to swing in on a jungle vine, snatch a princess Leia under one arm and an Ewok under the other, and ride off into the sunset. <laughs> What are you holding on to the rope with? <laughs> with her mouth. <laughs> I mean, it would be an upgrade. The only other person that swung with her has been her brother, so. That's true. Twice. They didn't swing, jackass. They swung twice. Yes, they once did. in the Death Star, once on Java Slave Barge. That's true. I'll cut you. Wait, she and her brother <laughs> are swingers? <laughs> Ayo. So, uh, it's not the length of the vine, Patsy. <laughs> Believe me, I know. It's the power of the grip. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what are we doing next week? What do we What do we got going on next week? We're talking about stuff. We're going to be talking with uh, Justin Cooper of uh, the Facebook group Amalgamania, and we're going to be discussing uh, Booster Gold, Ooh. who is not a character I know a whole lot about. But uh, I'm I'm excited to learn some more about him because he does seem like an interesting chap. Uh, Elgoro, are you familiar with uh, Mr. Booster Gold, or is he outside your purview? I am familiar with uh, Mr. Booster Gold. I just suggest watching that episode of Justice League Unlimited like ten times, and it'll be time well spent. I, uh, I have a feeling we may be discussing that on the show. Such a good episode. Uh, so I think that's that's about it. I want to I want to thank you guys for coming on. Um, you know, we we always have a good time with you guys, and uh, oh, it's always a good time to be on with you guys. I, oh yeah, Stephanie, I think you've you've been on more than any other guest. I think you've been on the show almost as many times as Agent Nicole. Like we're we're you're getting up there. I gotta cut you. Listen, you're shit. always in jail. <laughs> we have to find somebody to cover for you. Jail. She's always for stalking Benedict Cumberbatch. Well, latest was Carl Urban. But yeah, that was Carl Urban. A, that's yeah. a good upgrade. <laughs> he doesn't Urban look like an it. otter. And he's a badass Judge Dredd. Oh, he's also just fine as hell. Oh, uh, yes. 
Uh, his accent. Ugh. So is he like just fine? Like like Nick thinks Tim Curry was just fine as Pennywise. I think those are very different uses. Yeah, that, yeah. Don't do that. All right. Well, we don't know. That's true. I just want to say, speaking of of Nick, um, we will definitely get to your Indiana Jones voicemail um, as soon as possible. So we did not forget about that. We will listen to it. So thank you for sending that. And uh, as yeah. well as your your it, no, we did uh, do the voicemail. It. Yeah, well, I said, yeah, I know, but I'm just saying. Yeah, you know, and yeah, I'm yeah, also going to thank Porny for sending his question. Porny, Porny, <laughs> you did not. No, I said Corny. Evil Porny, evil horny, <laughs> evil horny. Corny, <laughs> oh Buffy, you got a new name. Corny, <laughs> Corny, Cornelius. <laughs> I love this. I'm so sleepy. Yeah, this I am has tired. Been. Wait, I do have to mention one thing. El Goro, this is not the only podcast upon which you will be discussing it. Is that correct? This is true. I'm actually have it scheduled to be discussing on uh, the next episode of Talk Without Rhythm, where I'm going to pair it up with another Stephen King miniseries adaptation of The Stand. Ooh. So... Definitely, if you enjoyed this conversation, you will enjoy that much more because I will not ah. be a part of it. Because <laughs> and I won't be there. <laughs> no, no, no. See, Stephanie won't be there, so it's going to automatically be uh, lesser in my eyes. Bit of a downgrade. I understand. Bit of a downgrade. All right. Well, again. But if I ask really nicely, maybe she'll come on and talk about the new version of it for a tour aside on the Patreon. Ooh. And if you're not a, a patron, you're like, enthusiasm. For a second, do I it. said twerk. <laughs> a twerk aside. Have, have you seen El Goro twerk? It's, it's quite a sight. That's really? how he closes the dresser drawers. I make that flat frog ass fly. <laughs> and on that note, I think it's time to end our two hour episode. Oh, so, for uh, fuck's sake, it's two hours? <laughs> longest episode ever. So I want to thank you guys for setting a record oh, with definitely. us. Woo-hoo. And uh, all about yeah. the length. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag length. You guys have a w- wonderful evening, and uh, we will uh, see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. Fuck a dumbo. <laughs>